thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to The Healthy Shift Worker with your host, Audra Starkey. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Shift Worker podcast. My name is Audra Starkey and I'm here to help you to manage some of the toughest challenges we face whilst working 24-7. In this week's episode, we're going to be talking about what makes a good shift working supervisor because it's an incredibly tough occupation and having the right support is important in workplaces that operate around the clock 24-7. And to talk more about this topic, I've got father of two, Chris Slater from Brisbane, as our guest speaker today. Chris's background is in the airline industry, where he has spent 27 years working for Australian Airlines and Qantas. 25 years of that actually included working in a shift working environment. He recently took a redundancy to pursue an entirely different career and is now studying a Bachelor of Film and Screen Media production at Griffith University. So to tell us more about what makes a good shift working supervisor, I'd like to give a warm, healthy shift worker welcome to Chris. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Welcome, 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 Chris. It's Yeah, it's great to have you here. Now, I think uh, we probably first met, oh gosh, I don't know how many years ago, maybe 15 Oh, even more when you're one of the check-in supervisors at the International Terminal uh, for Qantas. Um, And I think we're probably going to be showing our ages here. (laughs) That's right. It would be about that, yeah, Yeah, about 15 years ago. Yeah. What what year did you start with Qantas? Well, that was 2001, just after ANSET. ANSET, yeah. Because yeah, so. I know I do remember you worked in VMR for a while, though, didn't you, when you were back with, with, with AN? Yes. There you go, yeah. I remember we, I think we, we worked down there. I was in BMR for a while as well, so I'm, I'm pretty sure I used to know some of the faces and, and whatnot and uh, we used to see you guys in the lift when you came over on the, the bus, which was always fun. Nicole Chaundy was always cracking jokes. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, yeah. And for BMR, for our listeners that have absolutely oh, yeah. no idea what we're talking about there, <laughs> That's actually baggage services or it's a baggage master, I think the official probably term I think it was. was, yes. was, from, it was yeah. Master. So, uh, yeah, no, uh, quite a few years ago. Uh, so I guess just to begin the interview, Chris, I'd like to know how you got started in the aviation industry because I think you grew up in regional Australia, so you're obviously something drew you to the big smoke of Brisbane. Yeah, mum and dad made me. Oh, <laughs> they moved I... here, so I sort of had to Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, I, I always intended to go back, actually, and then I actually went to boarding school up in Toowoomba too, which, which you know, so the whole – Country life was really for me. It was never the city, but then, um, but then I met my wife down here, and that sort of pretty much paid to that. She was very much a city girl, so <laughs> there was no move into the country for her. <laughs> I made the mistake of taking her to my hometown, which is Cumnock, down in western New South Wales. And the first time I took her there was in the middle of winter, pretty much about the time we are now. And uh, I think it got down to about minus two down there that night. And that was pretty much it. There was no chance she was going to leave, go and move there with me. So <laughs> Brisbane it was. Oh, my goodness. So she's been a Queenslander probably, has she, her whole life? Very much Townsville girl originally. So, yeah. Very much. Oh, yeah, Townsville to minus two, that's just not going to happen. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so my, my dad actually worked for um, Australian Airlines. Well, actually, he originally worked oh, for 2AA. Okay. And, uh, when he came up here, so he had a, he had a job working um, down on the ramp. So he was a shift worker, so I sort of knew what, what the environment was I was going into. And um, it was a bit of a family thing because my auntie worked down in Sydney in the res down there. She was, she was the, the res supervisor at, uh, in reservations at Sydney uh, out at Mascot. So um, 
so I sort of had a few wins there and I'd, I went off to uni when I first left school and funnily enough went and studied management and uh, and took me about 12 months to realise the last thing I wanted to be was a manager so I threw that <laughs> <laughs> tossed oh, that but, uh, yeah I thought well I'll get a job in the airline see how I go so yeah started off in res uh, reservations up here and uh, worked there for a couple of years and then um I went out to the uh, the airport and worked on it. We used to go out and do little three month stints at the airport, and was a bit of a a bit of a dip your toes in the water type of thing. Particularly in shift work in res was very much uh, well, it was only six a.m. to eleven p.m. So it wasn't that twenty four hour thing. It was a it was sort of mm-hmm. like shift work light, but. Um, to go out to the airport where it was a bit more, you know, particularly the early early mornings, it was a bit more intense. So. It was a good way for them to check you out and you to check it out and see if it fitted. And then the pilot strike happened um, back in, uh, it must have been about 91, 92, I think. And uh, 1990, in 1990. Yeah, that was, a, that was a very messy thing. So everything sort of stayed as it was and I, and I just ended up getting out to the airport again and that was it. Stayed at the airport and never went back to res, which was great. <laughs> Much appreciated it. <laughs> Away from the chair and the phone and, yeah, that kind of a thing. Oh, so you... You uh, were over at the international terminal, obviously, or was it that domestic sorting out no, actually, the nineteen ninety? Yeah, I actually started at the domestic, and yeah. um, the the, um, the jobs back then it, it had sort of evolved where part time was pretty much the only way to get a job out there. So, yeah, I, I sort of bit the bullet and, and took the part time job um, with the hope of getting a full time job, and did that played that game for about six months. But while I was doing it, a full time job at the international came up. So ah. I applied for that and got it, and uh, and so that was it. I, I then went over to the international and and worked there for another ten or so years or fifteen years before I got back over to the domestic, which is where I always wanted to be. To be funnily enough, <laughs> I had no real intention of going to the national airport, but had to take the full time job where I could. Mm. Wow, interesting story. I didn't know that about you. I didn't know that you'd actually done a management degree as well. The the well, irony. <laughs> oh, you, you didn't finish it, and I think oh, that's no. really ironic because you were, in my eyes, and yeah, an amazing. Uh, well, we won't call you a manager per se, but a, a leader of sorts. And yeah, that that's really quite ironic. Um, yeah, so I guess when you, but we'll, we'll talk more about that shortly. When you first started shift work, how did you go working those irregular hours, Chris? Did you like have much of an idea of how hard it was going to be? Funnily enough, I actually, I, I did because of dad. Yeah. Um, yep. And I, the main impact of that was I, I remembered um, that it was, it was a bit of an issue because as a kid, I remember Dad wasn't always there for the for the sporting events or for the big things. He, oh, yeah. it was always a bit of a thing. So, um, so I, I wasn't going in with blinkers as such. I, I had a good idea of what I was putting myself in for. Um, but I have to say, when I first started doing shift work, particularly in Res, where it was only you know six a.m. to eleven p.m., I loved it, absolutely loved it, because I had all this free time during the day, and I thought, oh, this is great, and I was young and, and, and at the time single, although Sandra and I were going out, but um, I just found life was great. <laughs> but, uh, but then again, you know, the, then the real world sort of starts to encroach, and you start, you know, you get married, you get a mortgage, you have kids and all these other things, and and um, for a little while there, particularly when I got out to the airport, um, I, was, I was also working on the side doing... Um, mowing lawns and and uh, and that sort of stuff to try and pay off the mortgage quicker so that sort of helped in that regard but it it, it took its toll i was I, I i think i looked older than i was <laughs> i was about 25 so 
<laughs> oh, wow. So you're juggling, juggling a full-time shift working job and doing that extra mm. as well. Wow. Good on you. That's, um, yeah, that's pretty hard going. Um, yeah, that's for sure. And obviously, yeah, once the kids come along and all that, everything kind of, yeah, it's a whole different ball game. It is indeed. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Completely. Um, but look, having worked with you for a lot, uh, quite a few years, Chris, one of the things I noticed about you when you were a supervisor is that you were always extremely supportive and encouraging to the staff on shift. You know, one of the, you know, one of the things which included, you know, making sure that everyone had designated, you know, breaks. How important do you think this is in a shift working environment? Well, firstly, thank you for saying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Rose-coloured glasses order, I think. Oh, <laughs> but, uh, I think uh, uh. Oh, the breaks, absolutely important. But I think that's that's part and parcel. It's um, oh, that's probably one of the things that's changed over the last five or six years, or particularly in the last few years before I left. That there, it was always it was always originally you, you came up through the ranks, so you knew what what the the trials and tribulations of working on that that yeah. checking counter were. Um, and now there seems to have been a a thing of like where they they bring people from outside that you know it doesn't mean that they're not um, you know uh, doesn't mean they're oblivious to the problems but they're not sort of as as personally in de- <laughs> invested in the problems that you can have on the ship on the on the uh, the front counter there particularly on those early morning shifts you know they were they were full on but um, so you know breaks hugely important but um, but I think if you grow up in the in the airport environment you know that it's second hand nature so. Uh, you know, you you know how they important they are to you. You make you make sure everyone gets their break. Yes. Mm. I think, yeah, that's an incredibly important comment that you make. That uh, you know, you kind of earn your stripes, so to speak. That mm. was kind of the old days that you know you did. You used to work your way up the ranks, and I think you know you obviously had that more appreciation, uh, you know, for for what goes on, you know, below you, so to speak, and. And the real good leaders I, you know, used to sort of admire or look up to were the ones that sort of hadn't forgotten that, mm. that always were sort of on your level and it was never this, um, you know, us as them kind of approach. And um, and you can't get that unless you really have worked, spent years, <laughs> years working your way up the, the ranks. And, yeah, it's a hard way to do it. But I think at the end of the day you end up becoming, you know, this is a generalisation. Look, there's, you know, you know one or two awesome um, you know, yeah. ma- managers out there um, that just seem to kind of intuitively know. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, generally, though, I think um, it's, we, you, you can see it um, in the results from a, yeah. a leader that sort of worked their way up the ranks. So, yeah, um, I guess um, one other thing that I wanted to sort of mention is sort of to make reference to another a former workmate of ours, actually, PJ, or otherwise known as Peter Johnson. And I always remember him saying that during a really stressful time working at the airport, I think we had multiple cancellations, you know, airport closures. I mean, it's kind of fairly the norm these days <laughs> with all That's the right. bad weather that we have. Um, but I remember him saying to us, if we just take care of each other, everything else will be okay. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, firstly... Um, I'm glad you mentioned PJ because when I was a young boy in reservations, um, my first – well, I, I sort of went into shift work and I'd only been doing it a couple of months and they said, okay, we're going to put you on res support, which was like a bit of a promotion but you were on a very specialist team where you worked with – in a group of three but you worked beside each other all shifts, all day, seven days, seven days a week. 
and I was lucky enough to be put with Peter Johnson and John Lacey. And, oh, um, yeah, wow. yeah. Yeah, and for the two years that I was in res working with those guys, I always say they're the most formative. I've actually said before that aside from my father and my father-in-law, they're the two men who probably are most responsible for everything I am today. I, I, the, I'm sure there's not a decision I've made in the last 30 years that I haven't questioned or the last 25 years, I should say, where I haven't thought, okay, what would PJ and Macca do? <laughs> because that was, mm. they were very much, um, very much helped me grow up. So PJ has had a huge influence on the way I, I dealt with people. And, and interacted with, with staff and whatnot, I think. Um, um, so I'm glad you've raised PJ because I think he is the perfect supervisor in my eyes. Yep. Um, I would say, actually, if I was going to say if I got my managerial or supervisory staff from anyone, it's probably a mix of PJ, um, Liz McKenzie-Smith, who used to work down in Baggage, who was all about getting, when, the, when it hit the fan, she was right there beside <laughs> you every single time. And, and yep. Just went hard. And um, Mark Connolly was the other bloke. And Mark Connolly was my first supervisor when I came to the domestic terminal and I learned so much from him about how to how to treat staff and how to be a good person, basically. So, um, yeah, I'm in, hugely indebted to those guys, but in particular PJ. He really did have a big effect on me. Yeah, I think uh, we all love PJ and, and, you know, he is still there and if he's listening, mm. he's going to say g'day to him. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, I can't, yeah, I think you know, speak highly enough of him. And um, that's interesting that I didn't realise he was kind of like your mentor for mm. quite a few years. So, yeah, okay, that does explain <laughs> quite a lot now <laughs> of, of how you've kind of evolved to the person that you are today. Um, one of the things um, too also that I admired about you, and obviously you've got this from PJ that I've just since learned, but whenever things, you know, became stressful, you never walked away from it. You're always a very hands-on kind of person, which sounds like Liz McKenzie-Smith was. Um, yeah, but you always remained, I guess, that cool, calm and collected uh, despite the chaos <laughs> around you, how did you do this? Or were you well, some uh, kind of a Zen monk in your former yeah, life? Like, no, I think uh, <laughs> I think I, I must have been a very, very good actor. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, the amount of times I it might have looked like a duck, I guess you might have looked nice yep. and steady sitting on top, but you were pattern like <laughs> underneath. Um, oh, look, I think yep. the my level of stress was always very much dependent on on who was there, the staff that were around me. And, um, I mean, the joy of being, particularly when I was doing the, um, the manager's job, I had in the office sitting right beside me a godsend in Ian Reid. And Ian was brilliant at just coming in and recognising when I was, I was starting to drown <laughs> and would come in and just help out wherever he could and he was fantastic. But oh, also... When I was doing the shift side of it, you were sitting right beside the, the city fly desk, which, um, which for those who don't know, is where basically the, the desk that solves all the problems when they hit. <laughs> the people on that desk were always the best of the best. And I remember when I first started doing the managerial job, one of the other managers there said to me, the good thing about the domestic terminal is by the time you hear about the problem, it's usually been fixed already by these guys. And that was so true, so true. They were amazing. So the, the level of talent that we had around us and was just phenomenal, really. And um, I think that's really what the key was, just uh, the, making sure the right people were in the right spots at the right time. Mm, to make you look good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. 
<laughs> oh dear, yeah, that's um, yeah. Well, that's a nice story. I wasn't really aware of that. With um, yeah, with Ian too as well. It it certainly, you know, it's not a uh in an airport environment in particular, and I'm sure this applies to many shift working environments. That it's not a one man kind of a job. It's very much reliant on uh, teamwork. Mm. Uh, which I think is incredibly um, important because you can't do it on your own and just, you know, having that support, and which is why I really resonated with that statement that PJ said to us, you know, it's all about looking after each other, you know, that you know, we, we hear about the customer comes first, you know, over and over again, which, you know, I, I kind of half agree with that, <laughs> not wholeheartedly because I think, you know, we do have to look after each other and then the kind of the rest kind of falls into place. I think you did right there. I think the key is is to to making the customer think that they come first. That's the key. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, actually that's yeah, that's even better exactly. They they feel as though they are um yeah, but at the end of the day, I think um you know we've got got to look after ourselves because we're doing this day in day out and and unless you've worked shift work before, you really don't have an appreciation of just how hard it is. Yeah, so, that's absolutely um, true. That is so true, Audra. I think um, I used to uh, we used to laugh and talk about how um, I remember with um, one of the other guys we used to talk all the time about um, when he first got married. And I said, "You need to warn them that that um, you need to warn your spouse that 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 first day after you you know you do a seven seven days straight and you come to a four day break." That first day is a write-off. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to get anything done that first day. You're just going <laughs> to veg out somewhere and, and recover. And it's you know because I think what had happened was he he had the day off and his wife had walked in the door and she said he didn't mow the lawn. He said no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, oh, that's funny. Yeah. How come you're just slumping on the couch? <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Um, so having had a quarter of a century experience of working shift work, um, if there was someone out there listening who's interested in becoming, you know, at doing a leadership role in a shift working workplace and wanted to know how to get the best out of their staff, Chris, what would be your top three pieces of advice that you'd give to them? Oh, wow. Top three pieces yeah. of advice. Okay. Um, number one, empower your staff. Don't um, don't hover. Don't be a, a helicopter. Trust your staff that they're going. They know how to do the job because they do, and they. So you've got to you've got to empower your staff to make decisions and uh, and not not come down hard on them if they make the wrong decision. As in, even sometimes don't even mention it if they make the wrong decision. Mm. <laughs> I think um, actually Mark Connolly taught me that. Mark would. He would uh, generally back you to the hilt and then once it was all over, he might pull you aside for a cup of coffee and say, now, if you come across that situation again, here's what I might do differently. <laughs> but you would never know that while, while it was hitting the fan. He was, he was brilliant like that. Um, number two, make sure your staff are, are well-rested and in a good frame of mind, particularly in those early shifts. Always go around and have a bit of a... Always say good day, have a bit of a chat, and be a smiling face. Don't walk up to your staff, and even if you're not having a, you might have had a bad night, or don't walk up and and be glum. If you know what I mean, mm. be be positive because that it just everyone feeds off that. And if the negative energy is around, then everyone feeds off that. If you're being positive, even if you're just pretending, <laughs> sometimes yeah, yeah, yep. that'll get you through. Um, and number three, mm, don't do it too long. <laughs> That's probably the other one I'd say. Um, <laughs> I think um, 25 years is well and truly enough. I'd had my fill by the end of it. I know yep. that. But I think um, yep. 
I remember uh, always you'd, you'd see people after they'd done shift work for an extended period, say, you know, eight to ten years or more, and you'd see them a year or two after they'd, they'd gone to another job or, or, you know, quit or resigned or something, and they always looked younger. <laughs> they look better but I think it's got to do with it's not just the the sleeping patterns and whatnot. I mean when I worked shift work out there my diet was terrible I'd eat all sorts of rubbish and it was just under the guise of convenience but, but really it was just um, the, particularly if you're busy you just got into really bad dietary habits and you there'd be a you know, hungry jack sitting right there <laughs> just <laughs> it was a quick fix that you'd pay for later on but but yeah, I think since I've given up the shift work and I'm eating better, I'm certainly feeling better and, and better in mind and body, I think. Yeah. So. so how did that hamburger, Hungry Jack's Burger, just sit there? Obviously, it went, somebody <laughs> went out to get it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yes. oh, that's funny. Ashley, didn't you? I think I was talking to you the other day and you made mention that because you're studying now uh, amongst you know, quite a few younger people that they actually think, thought you were a lot younger than what you actually are. Isn't that isn't that the weirdest yeah. thing? I've always copped, you know, always maybe because I was doing a supervisory role in res, particularly when I was younger. But everyone always thought I was older than I was. Now I'm getting younger than I was. So yeah, hey. I, I don't think I look younger. <laughs> You're heading in the right direction. <laughs> You're definitely heading in the right direction. So I have to ask then, Chris, what made you decide to pursue an entirely different career in film and television? I mean, that's just polar opposites to airlines. <laughs> Funnily enough, though, I, I've always wanted to do it. Um, but um, okay. back when I was at school, they, they didn't have um, – uh, well, my school, at any rate, they, there might have been a couple of schools that were starting to get into the audio-visual side of it, but but we didn't have that at our school. So um, there was never any sort of career path there, although there was a, a degree at the time. But um, I'm glad I didn't do it back then because it would have been hella hard before the days of digital or cutting film and all sort of stuff. But – the um, I nearly left about fifteen years ago. Sixteen, actually, I can tell you exactly. It was sixteen years and nine months ago. Oh, um, because my son turned sixteen yesterday, my oldest one, and I remember talking with my wife and saying that, um, well, you know, it's about time that we we could afford me to go to study, and I've always wanted to study film, and we were just about to pull the pin and go and do that when. Sandra got pregnant with Ben, so <laughs> that uh, was. <laughs> So, so no, back to work it was. So, um, yeah. <clears throat> the student life doesn't sort of fund no, parenthood as well, yeah. <laughs> so, no, it was um, – and when the opportunity came up, I, I mean, I had had my, my – you know, there were several reasons why I, I'd, I'd had enough of, mm-hmm. uh, of um, the airport. I'm not, I'm not sure I hadn't had enough of the airport. I loved the airport, loved the job. Um, but there were just, you know, heaps of other factors there and it was, it was time to move on. And the situation just presented itself and I thought, right, I'll go and do it. It was. Um, I was a bit worried. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure the 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 as far as a career afterwards, it's probably the worst degree to go and study because <laughs> at the end of the three years, I'm sure you're pretty much qualified to get a job at a fast food restaurant. That's about it because there's very <laughs> few jobs out there. But I I thought if I go and study teaching or something that you know to to try and make me an employable you know 50 year old when I get out. There's nothing that's really going to do that. So I'm better off doing something that I want to do and enjoy. And if I walk away without getting a job, I'm going to think, oh, well, I had a good time the last three years anyway. So <laughs> I have had a good time so far. It's been 18 months and I've been loving every minute of it. Um, 
but uh, and it's not as bleak out there as I'm painting the picture. There are <laughs> there is yeah. shots, but, um, but yeah, no, very much a, a bit of a, a bit of an indulgence, I'm sure, but um, one that I've been trying to do for many years. So no, it's something I've always wanted to do. Oh, good for you! You're following your passion. Very much, very much. Yeah, yeah. that's fantastic. Well, okay. Well, I'm just about to wrap up the um, podcast shortly, Chris, but one of the things that I always like to ask each of my guests, because I'm a bit of a mad traveller and I'm sure you are too, being an aviation person, um, but I'd like to know what your favourite holiday destination is and why. Well, favourite holiday destination? Mm, just okay. one. <laughs> you probably one. got several. <laughs> I have got several. but uh-huh. um, And it's funny, with all the places I've been to around the world and I love so many places that we've stopped we've had great holidays in france and the in the uk and and uh, orlando we had a great couple of weeks in orlando but in all honesty cool and gather <laughs> is the spot oh uh, no way really uh, we we go there every year um been going there every year since sandra and i first met actually and um Funnily enough, my father used to go to Cool and Gatter when uh, was the one break he used to get from the farm. <laughs> He'd take take a week's holiday at the end of every year and go to Cool and Gatter. And so it's I don't know maybe it's in it's it's biological, but yeah, <laughs> just love Cool and Gatter. And I'm not a surfer. I just like to sit there and watch the beach, but <laughs> I'm not huge at getting into it. So. Love Cool and Gatter. Yeah, and look, for any uh, some of our international guests that are listening or even some of our domestic uh, other parts of Australia, Cool and Gatter is actually uh, um, a suburb of the Gold Coast. So it's about an hour's drive south of Brisbane and it is, yeah, I mean, we kind of take it for granted because we live so close to it. Um, but, you know, we, we're very lucky. We live in a part of the world that has some of the best beaches in the world. And I'm sure that's probably one of the reasons why Chris keeps hovering back to Cool and Gatta. Because even though you do a lot of traveling through Europe and other places of the world, I think we really do. Australia does have the best beaches. Absolutely. Absolutely. All of a sudden, we're going to get an onslaught of uh, international people <laughs> flying in. <laughs> well, look, it's been fantastic having you on the call uh, on the podcast today, Chris. Thank you so very much for joining me and, and sharing your insights on being a great leader. It was definitely really informative, um, those three tips that you gave us. I'm sure, um, you know, listeners are going to take some. Um, advice from that and yeah and look all the very best in your studies no worries thank you very much well that's it for another edition of the healthy shift worker podcast i'd love to hear your feedback and there are many ways you can do this via my facebook page the healthy shift worker through my website healthyshiftworker.com or you can visit the wellness couch at thewellnesscouch.com and leave a comment there If you enjoyed the show, please feel free to share it with other shift workers who you think may benefit. And you can also leave us a five-star rating in the iTunes store, which will help me to spread the healthy shift worker message to shift workers and organizations all around the world. If you'd like access to more free resources, including my newsletter, just visit my website, healthyshiftworker.com and enter your name and email address. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening. Until next time, may you continue to be as healthy as you possibly can be, despite working 24-7. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. 
Impossible Ones Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Ones Couch podcasts.